Will you outlast your money? Do you stay awake at night worrying about providing for your family? Are you making the right decisions about your investments? There are many life-changing decisions that arise and questions you want answered when going through divorce or after you've received your settlement. This is the Financially Ever After podcast, where you'll hear stories of women like you and get advice from the industry's top professionals. Here's your award-winning and nationally recognized host, Stacey Francis. Welcome to Financially Ever After. Today, our special guest, Helene Bernstein, is here to talk to us about how we can move through COVID, whether through the divorce process or your agreement has been signed maybe even for many years. There's been a huge amount of conflict that has resulted from this both health and financial crisis, and Helene shares with us how to move through this. You see, it's not the first crisis that Helene has helped her clients through. She has over 25 years of experience as a New York mediator and litigator in the area of matrimonial law, helping clients after 2008 with financial issues and financial crisis, as well as in 2001 when we saw after 9-11 the courts being closed. Helene has one of the purest hearts and most wonderful people that you will meet. She sits on the advisory board of Family Kind, which is a very special nonprofit that offers reduced fee mediation services to couples going through divorce or separation. And they also have one of the most top-notch parenting programs that you could ever want to attend. Helene also sits on the board of directors of the Family Divorce Mediation Council and chairs their Continuing Education Committee. But I know that I am speaking for Helene and channeling her inner amazing mom. One of the things she's most proud of is that she has two college-age twin boys who are absolutely phenomenal. I'm really excited to welcome Helene to our podcast today, not only because of her great insight and wisdom, but also because she's talking about a topic that is front and center and timely and something that we all need to know about. How is COVID affecting the divorce process, the conflicts that COVID is creating, and how you can work through them with your spouse or ex-spouse to get to the best resolution, not only for you, but for your family. Without further ado, please help me welcome Helene Bernstein. Helene, it's great to have you here today. I feel like your world is such an ever-changing world with everything that's going on with COVID now. But before we jump into that, I'd love to hear your story and how you came to do the work that you do as a matrimonial and family law mediator. Thanks, Stacey, for having me today. I'm a big follower of your show, and it's very exciting for me to be able to speak to your followers today. So like many people, we embarked on a journey and we landed in a place that feels good for us. And I always work with children. When I was in high school, I worked in the children's library. I was a camp counselor. And when I was in college, I thought I wanted to be a lawyer. And I wasn't sure what kind of lawyer. So I wrote a letter. People did those things in those days. 
wrote a letter to my local state assembly person because my parents were not lawyers and not connected in that way. And I actually got an answer. And the assembly person who I did not know had me interview in the family court for a summer job, which I did. And I became very interested in helping families out through the legal community. So I did that in college and my interests continued in law school. So my first job, I worked for the city of New York. I was a prosecutor. I prosecuted child abuse cases and child neglect cases. And that was after the crack epidemic in New York City and New York City was expanding their prosecutor's office. So I got a feel for what family court was like. And even today, I would say family court is like the emergency room of uh, the court system. They take all the desperate, needy situations that need immediate attention. So after working for the city of New York, I started my own practice. And I helped that individuals in matters that involve custody and child support and child abuse. And from there, divorce judges started to appoint me to represent children in contested matters. And I really enjoyed that. But I felt very strongly that there had to be a better way to resolve conflicts when it came to child custody matters. These poor kids, they were in the middle and they loved both of their parents. And they would come to my office, often for years where they were very comfortable and I knew that was not really the right way to go. So of course the court system is necessary uh, to help kids with these types of matters, but I thought there was a better way. And so I became trained as a mediator about 10 years ago and I integrated that into my practice. So currently I not only mediate, I still am a litigator but I always encourage my clients to try to work out their disputes without the assistance of the court if Mm -hmm. possible. But as you know, there are situations that involve domestic violence or uh, substance abuse where the courts are required to help these people and we need them to -hmm. make those types of firm decisions that families need to raise their kids. Yeah. So that's how I landed there. <laughs> you know, it's interesting how you being and protecting children has been, you know, so much part of your your history and and why you do this. You know, I my heart goes out to kids dealing with COVID. You know, I have two little ones, not so little now, 11 and 14. You know, you have kids as well and we've seen them struggle with remote learning, with, you know, social distancing, but I imagine that you know, kids whose parents are going through a divorce, or even if it's post-divorce, that there's another layer that they might have to be dealing with if there's conflict between their parents with regards to who gets to see the kids during COVID. And if the parents live far apart, if one of the parents is a, a frontline worker, have you seen some of this conflict? Most definitely. And it's been very fluid. You know, March seems like a million years ago when everything shut down. And here we are speaking to each other in July. And New York City 
and New Jersey and Connecticut have also been sort of on the same page where safety is first. And that's how these cases have to be managed. When you're dealing with parents who have already difficulties communicating and now bringing the anxiety and stress of COVID, it puts kids clearly in the middle of how do we parent, how do we make sure that kids are safe. And this initially came across my desk when I had a particular situation where one of the parents was a first responder. And how do we work through that? So, you know, there's some guiding principles. Child safety, of course, matters. And you have to move uh, with the assumption that both parents desperately love the child and parents' positions are in good faith. There's no sort of surreptitious reason why they're going to hold the child back from parenting. And so I often tell my clients, if you don't really know what to do, speak to your pediatrician, that third-party expert who can guide you in terms of the safety issues. And then the next guiding principle is at all possible, both parents should have access to their children. Many of these parents that we're talking about have already signed on to a divorce agreement. And so that agreement really needs to be the roadmap on how they're going to set up access. So what's happened in the last few months is that initially parents were speaking with their kids if they were the non-custodial parent through increased FaceTimes. And now as we've gone through the summer, we now will perhaps increase access outside. Sometimes parents have moved maybe to the same upstate community and Mm -hmm. they've created a safe knit pod, as they say, where you know where the kids are, you agree to limit access to third parties. And so you can create this extended family and the kids are safe. So that's how we've managed that largely. And I always tell parents who have had enforceable agreements, let's look at your agreement and see how we're going to manage this. Sometimes it means let's get a mediator involved. Mm -hmm. That's a neutral third party who can sit down with both of the parents because the court system for the most part is really not available unless it's a real emergency. And of course, emergency is always in the discretion of the court. You may be able to file matters, family court for sure, but doesn't mean they're going to hear your case. And so what do you do? You want to see your child. You need to look to outside means to resolve that. So mediators, as I said, are a good resource. Sometimes agreements will specify that a parent coordinator should be helping parties manage these types of access issues. So the parent coordinator largely is a mental health professional who's been trained to deal with high conflict couples. Mm -hmm. And Helene, parent coordinators, I I feel like there's a, a myth that parent coordinators are there to support during the divorce, but they're also there for after. 
particularly if it's a couple that has a hard time communicating, like you mentioned with a lot of conflict. So, I mean, it could be that, you know, you have a couple where they were doing fine up until now. And now with all this additional stress and the, you know, unique situation that COVID has brought to us, bringing in a parent coordinator, maybe for a period of time, is that possible? That is possible. And even if their agreements don't provide for it, and even if you make it to a judge, which, by the way, means that you have a virtual call through Skype, often meaning that it's just the lawyers, not even the clients, and they're going to want to see how you co-parent, how you have used resources outside in the community to actually resolve your conflicts. And so judges are so busy, as you know, and these types of parenting issues about should the child spend a week with a parent who is a first responder, for instance, they're going to look to third party resources like a parent coordinator. And so there's really no reason to go to court. Mm -hmm. And the courts are going to recommend exactly what their lawyers or mediators are recommending to them. So parent coordinators are a very special breed and their priority is the best interests of the kids. And Mm -hmm. they have seen many of these issues and they know how to address them. They often, if necessary, will actually speak to the kids. And that's so important. Mm-hmm. Because the child then has a voice yeah. on where they stand on, on all of this. And for many of these kids, especially if they don't have any siblings, it's very lonely for them. Yeah. They really want to be with their parents. And yeah. you know, kids didn't ask for their parents to separate or divorce. And they really want their parents to get along. It really affects their self-esteem, which is really yeah. an important point when they see their parents just continue on this destructive path, which if it gets to a judge, the judge is going to remind them that this is not the way to behave. And courts are guided by the principle of evaluating whether one parent can support the relationship of the child with the other parent. And if they can't, it's very likely that parent will not be able to have joint custody with the other parent. And in fact, Mm -hmm. the other parent will then have all the power and control over the access, the decision-making. And that's a very important point to share with the clients. And in fact, Judge Sunshine, who some of your listeners might know, he's the chief matrimonial judge in New York State. And From the get-go in March, he wrote an article for the Law Journal that was meant to be shared with these high-conflict clients, like you mentioned, that Mm -hmm. basically say, I'm watching you. The judges in this court system are watching you. Do the right thing by your children. Because Mm -hmm. if you don't, the camera's going to come down and it's not going to be pretty. Yeah. So that's where we are. Yeah. So there's a group of people, too right now where they've created an agreement, you know, it may be, you know, it may be even post-divorce three years, four years, five years, 10 years, and their ex-spouse is not 
complying with it. And we've talked a little bit about issues with custody, but we also know it's not only a health crisis, it's, it's very much been a financial crisis for many people. And, you know, we're seeing more unemployment than we've seen since, you know, the Great Depression. So not all of the spousal support checks are being written that should be written. Not all the child support checks that should be written are being written. If you're on the receiving end of that and your ex-spouse has you know, lost their job, what happens? Well, there what are ways to manage that. So the reality is when there's not a lot of money coming in, you don't really have money for legal fees necessarily. Yeah, yeah. So the fact right? that you're going to get hired guns out there, including me, we need to be realistic about what kind of advice that we're going to offer to the clients. Yeah. So of course, mediation is a wonderful way to try to manage this because the reality is that order may, the order that the judge had signed pursuant to the divorce, as you say, Stacey, there's just not enough money coming in. But you know, you take a step back and see, is this going to be a short-term issue? Is the payor ex-spouse, are, are they on furlough? Are they going to be coming back to work? I've had clients say, I have no money. But when you ask a few more questions, you see they received income for maybe the Paycheck Protection Program, which is probably forgivable if you follow yeah. the right steps yeah. or received a loan from the Small Business Administration. So you have to dig a little deeper to see what that looks like. Nevertheless, so, so what do you think? Helene, can I, can I ask you a question? Because I don't know this answer, and I imagine a lot of the women listening too. So, if your ex spouse has received Paycheck Protection Program money or through any of the other programs out there, can you claim to a court that they have funds available to them to pay the needed child support and the needed spousal? support as well? Well, I could obviously depend on what side you're on and what the money is being used for. But, you know, income in terms of the definitions under the Family Court Act and domestic relations law doesn't have to be earned income necessarily. So it can be unearned income. And courts in a very practical way are going to look at everybody's budgets. They have to fill out a financial affidavit and see can that money be used to fulfill the obligations? And I will say the family court right now in July, they've been really great. And this has been a priority for them in addressing the failure to abide by the orders. They've been allowing the payer to file a downward modification and the recipient to file a violation of the order. Now, under the law, if you don't pay your child support, and ultimately, you could go to jail. And if you don't file papers with the court, which you can actually do right now, virtually, then you're responsible and the arrears are not forgiven. So what do you do? You you can go back and forth in court. You're not going to get the immediate result that you need. So you're going to need assistance in figuring this out. So. Of course, mediation is a great way to do it. If you have limited funds, there are 
organizations out there that we're both familiar with, like Family Kind, that offer mediation on a sliding scale. And they, by yeah. the way, they also offer parent coordination on a sliding scale. And they can help people with limited funds who are entitled to access to professionals who are yeah. on top of their game in New York City who basically volunteer their time to help craft agreements in terms of support. Maybe for three months, we'll do a reduction of support. We'll look at everybody's expenses. The way we spend money really, I don't know about your family, but it's really changed. So different. The train coming in. I haven't bought a piece of clothing. I haven't yeah. taken a taxi. We're yeah. spending a lot of money on food. Yeah. You know? Yeah, yeah it's, so. it's so different. And, uh, you know, we see it not only ourselves, but I've seen it also with our clients. They're saving a lot more. And, you know, the monthly amount that they normally are saving, they've increased. I mean, it's really phenomenal. I went out to eat for the first time. And right now I'm up here in Vermont. So it's a little bit more open than, than New York City. And we ordered a bottle of wine. And then the kids, of course, because it's the first time, wanted to get dessert. And I got the bill. And I mean, it's Vermont prices. It's not expensive. Yeah, yeah. But I'm just so not used to that. I was like, that was my grocery bill from last week. Yeah. But it cost us for going out. And it, again, it was just a nice, you know, little pub. But yeah, the amount of money that we're saving is pretty significant. So yeah, you know, many of us don't have the same expenses. And so if you're not getting the child support that you normally get or the spousal support, trying to negotiate to figure out, okay, what do we need? Making it very apparent that when things go back to, you know, quote unquote normal, when we do have the summer camp, when we do have the, you know, soccer lessons, when we do have the Blankety blank. Yeah. I mean, even um, college has changed. I mean, yeah, kids yeah. are staying home now and they're not paying for room and board. That's a substantial, a very cost. big difference. It is. It's a big difference. So, what would you say to a woman right now? Because we've talked a lot about after an agreement has been signed, but there's a huge number, thousands and thousands of women that are somewhat in limbo right now negotiating their agreement and number one how has the coronavirus pandemic impacted the divorce process for these people number one what does that look like but number two are there some other things that they should be thinking about versus someone who was going through the divorce process let's say three years ago well, the process, we have contested cases, we have uncontested cases. So we need to review that in that lens. So if you have a contested case, so you're negotiating that case, you're in court, and the court system with current contested cases, they are playing an active role in trying to resolve the case. So that's a good thing. And so what has happened is because those current ongoing cases in court were filed through running into the court as and filing your papers, that doesn't exist at this time. Everything is e-filed. So if you come to your agreement and the judge is supervising the case, it will be e-filed. And when the, whether the judge signs the case, 
I can't tell you. It could be one month, it could be a year. And again, it depends on your jurisdiction. The harder cases are when they're not in court. And if you're negotiating the cases, if they're through mediation, you're assuming that there's some good faith. But if it's a negotiated settlement, you just have to continue to evaluate whether your needs are going to be met. Mm-hmm. And if they're not going to be met, and that means in terms of maintenance, spousal support, whether your house is going to be sold for equitable distribution, how your debt's going to be managed, how your tax is going to be paid. If you're not getting the relief you need through a negotiated settlement, then you're going to have to follow divorce action. And how long that's going to take to get to a judge is a problem. So what I tell people who call me and say, I really need child support. I really need spousal support. I don't know how long a divorce is going to take. I just need to pay my bills. I'm telling them to go to family court, which they have every right to do, leave the divorce to the side, or you can continue to negotiate, but you can get Mm -hmm. immediate help in family court. Family court will take those cases because they're considered essential. Mm -hmm. And in fact, if your clients or your, your listeners If they go onto the newyorkcourts.gov website, they have very detailed information on who you email, who you call, how do you get these cases started? And I think that's amazing that they've been Mm -hmm. able to use technology to get up to speed to give people relief. Because as you remember, Stacey, this is not the first time New York City has been through such a devastating crisis. We had 9-11, the courts were down, we were scared, we didn't know where we were going. Of course, it wasn't a health issue, but there was a major financial consequence and that was resolved with going to family court. Then we had the financial crisis of 2008. So this is not a new issue for the court. And in fact, because technology now gives us so many more resources than they did back in 2008 after 9-11 that people who really need the help can get it. Yeah. So it's sounding like if you're separated, not legally, but just, you know, living apart and you're not receiving money to pay bills for the kids and you're not receiving money, you know, to cover your rent or whatever that might be, that a great option here in New York is, you know, maybe to put the divorce to the side for the moment, but go directly to family court. And I love the way that you, you look at family court as it's the emergency room. When you go to the emergency room, you might have a little weight, but you are eventually seen. And, you know, that's what we're saying here. And what I'm hearing you share about if you're in a situation where you are not getting what you need, then that could be a good avenue for you to get that more immediate relief. And then going back to a proper divorce and going through the Supreme Court or or in the different courts that you would need for that. And I I would even say that even before COVID became something we deal with every day now of our lives, earlier this year, the entire court system statewide they made a very significant statement that most cases can be resolved through alternate dispute resolution. 
Mm-hmm. And today, mm-hmm. all of the courts, the divorce court, the family court, they've expanded mediation options to deal with these thorny support issues or the custody issues. And so they are mandated to refer very needy clients who have challenging cases to these professionals who are ready to go. And the great thing about mediation in particular, which is a form of ADR, is that we can easily do this from our homes on Zoom. Mm -hmm. And I've loved it because I don't have to leave my house. Yeah, And it also gives people some security when you're in a very conflictual situation. You don't necessarily want to be in the same room as the parent that you're accusing of not paying the bills or holding off on parenting access. You have the security of your home and we can share documents if necessary through Zoom. It's been a wonderful tool and resource to resolve these cases. Yeah, I have to say the technology we have today is so different than we did 10, 15 years ago. And it really can be very collaborative as well, really collaborative. One of the other tips that you had shared that I wanted to ask you about, and you mentioned that parties that live in New York City that want to get divorced quickly are encouraged to file their papers in an upstate New York county. Is that because the New York City system is so backlogged because of our courts and not as much the case in, you know, upstate New York? Yes. So as you, some of your listeners know, Governor Cuomo has created a plan where the various jurisdictions in the state have to comply with certain uh, safety metrics to move into certain phases. So in upstate New York, even Westchester at this point, They're moving into the phases where they're opening up the court systems. So even though you can, in effect, file your divorce after you sign the agreement in Brooklyn, in Manhattan, just because you file it doesn't mean you're going to get the attention of a judge or even a clerk to transition the case so it can sit on a judge's desk. And not all the judges are actually in the courthouse. So... If you can follow the matter in upstate New York or Westchester, there's a better chance that you're going to get a judge or magistrate to sign off on the papers. So some people don't know when a New York lawyer, we're talking about New York right now, they can follow their divorce in any county in the whole state. It doesn't have to necessarily be in the county where their office is. That's interesting. So your jurisdiction could be, let's say, Kings County, which is, you know, Manhattan. But if you've, you know, signed the agreement, all parties agree, the actual filing for then the judge to review it and kind of give their stamp of approval. I know I'm making this much more simple than it really is, but the judgment of divorce, that it doesn't have to be in Kings County, that you could do this up in, you could do this in Suffolk, you could do this in Niagara Falls. People Niagara like to Falls. go up there. Niagara Falls. So you, there you can go. do that, but people should be aware that if you have to enforce your agreement or modify your agreement, you can't go back to Niagara Falls or the Adirondacks. You would have yeah. to go into the county where one of the parents or spouses currently The jurisdiction. Lives. Yep. Exactly. Okay. So people should be mindful of that. But yeah. You know, some people don't really want their divorces rushed. And I'll give you yeah. a reason why, because 
your health insurance is such an important an important uh, piece. Benefit. Yeah. And some people don't realize that they can continue to stay on their spouse's health insurance until the judge signs the judgment and divorce. So sometimes that's a very important question you need to ask your clients. Like, what's the situation with the health insurance? Maybe you want it delayed a little yeah. bit. Yeah. Yeah. And we have clients whose spouses are paying the mortgage maintenance on their house and they want that to continue as long as it's possible. <laughs> so, right. you know, exactly. trying to do that too. Are there any things we have to worry about, Helene? You know, many people have moved out of the city for the summer or even more permanently. And I think it's really interesting because individuals who, you know, maybe would have moved out of the city, maybe when the kids went off to college, many more are doing this now. If you are going through the divorce process, does this impact the jurisdiction at all of, let's say you now live in Montauk and see yourself in Montauk in the foreseeable future, whereas three months ago you lived in Tribeca? Well, I think it comes down to evaluating, is this a temporary or a permanent residence? Yeah. So that's really the first thing. And so most people that I come in contact with, they're really sort of living day by day. And so they don't see their move to Montauk is something that's permanent. Mm -hmm. Kind of a, this is what's great for the kids right now. Yeah. And, And the real issue is, how will parenting be facilitated? So if the move, which is also called relocation, become more permanent, how is that going to affect the parenting relationship? Now, most agreements resolve that. You can move X amount of miles without permission from the other parent. But Mm -hmm. if you're in the middle of the divorce and you haven't resolved that, you're just not going to necessarily be able to move where you want to. Yeah. And many parents are going to say, I don't need to be in New York City anymore. My employer is allowing me to work from home. Yeah. It might be cheaper. And there's a lot of compelling reasons why you wouldn't want to do that. You wouldn't want to stay in the city anymore. Yeah, it's certainly complicated. And there was a recent case that came out in April, a Brooklyn family. Uh, the name of the case, by the way, is matter of Jennifer R. versus Lauren B., Judge Vargas <laughs> in Brooklyn Family Court. And so one of the parents, they were divorced already. She wanted to stay in New Jersey with the child and the other parent who was remaining at the Brooklyn apartment said, no, I have a right to visit my child regularly. And so the court basically said, you can't stay in New Jersey with the child. Mm-hmm. Jersey, as we all know, was going through the same metrics as New York. So, and it all depends on what's happening that particular week. I mean, it's so fluid when this all sort of became our reality in March, things were so quiet for example, in Arizona, where I have family, and they would just listen with curiosity about what was going on. So now the yeah. tables yeah. have turned, and I they're know. living the life that I lived in. Mall. Yeah, yeah, it's so different. So, really, it's about communication and what are the tools. 
because you're always going to have conflicts are going to be crises. And so does your agreement provide for managing that? And that's what a good agreement is supposed to be durable. And any agreement now, you need to put in some type of COVID provisions to deal with the parenting. How is decision-making going to be made with reference to schooling? How are we going to pay for the children's expenses, which as we said earlier, look different. Yeah. Yeah. I feel like ending on the piece that you just shared, particularly with communication. And I, I love that. I think that we, and I'll just talk for myself, but we get, or I get caught up in what's going on day to day, right? You get caught up in COVID and how it's impacting, but we've lived through other crises as well. You know, whether that's Hurricane Sandy, that's 9-11, you know, whatever that looks like. And you're so right that there's always going to be something and we hope not, but there's always going to. And so having those communication pieces in place so that when there is a crisis that you can deal with it, you know, and God forbid, hope that it's never a health crisis with one of your children. But, you know, it's so key because COVID for me in particular, I've never lived through a pandemic, nor pretty much anyone in in the population except those who maybe are in their hundreds. But it it feels very much like, you know, the first time of the first everything, but there are so many crossovers, right, to, you know, the financial hit that we felt after 2008 and and the courts being closed after 9-11. And so you, you bring just really wonderful wisdom to that. And I really also appreciate that you talk about how, you know, agreements need to talk about COVID and how things look like now and that they may look very different in the future to try and do the best we possibly can to plan. How do our listeners reach out to you? What's the best way? Um, Your website, email, what works best for you, Helene? Well, I have a beautiful website. In fact, I just used these last few months to refurbish it. So I would encourage your listeners to come visit me there. And the address is www.hbernsteinlawandmediation.com. You can email me at Helene at hbernsteinlawandmediation.com. And I've been getting regular calls on all of these subjects. And, you know, the most important piece is that people are resilient. And I think New Yorkers, I'm in New Jersey right now, we've all done amazing and we're trying to stay strong and healthy because we have to for our children, don't we? Yeah. yeah. And it will look different, but it can look better in some ways. I think we've all connected with our families in a way that we never predicted. And there's some really great memories here. Yeah. Uh, yeah. And so I, I'm a person who always likes to look at the glass half full as opposed to half empty. And so we will, we will get through this. And I think we've learned a lot about ourselves through these last few months. And people can do it if they want to. Yeah. Yeah, no, I appreciate you sharing that. And thank you so much for being here today. And I know for me, I'm I'm walking away from this conversation with kind of a feeling of being more at peace, of you know understanding 
the process more and that the bumps in the roads that many couples are seeing, that there are ways to work around them and there are some great resources too, that they don't have to do it alone and they're not stuck because there are a good number of people who understandably are feeling frightened and scared and, you know, kind of not knowing what to do. And so my hope and wish for this podcast was to kind of peel open the onion and really explain the different options that people have to be able to address this. So thank you so much for joining Financially Ever After, Helene. It was great to have you. you as a guest. Thank you for inviting me. I really appreciate it. Thanks for listening in today. I just want to reiterate that today the responses were from the perspective of a New York City-based attorney and mediator, and things may be different in your area where you live. But most importantly, there are some things that don't change anywhere where you live. And it became very apparent that the number one thing that's going to get you through COVID on the other side with a healthy and happy family is communication. I'll be honest, sometimes easier said than done. So knowing that there are resources, whether it's a mediator, the use of a a parent coordinator, talking to your pediatrician or a therapist, these are all great resources to help us through. Emotional burnout during the time of COVID is real. There are so many additional stresses, responsibilities, and Many of us are doing the best we can to take care of all the people around us, finding ourselves coming up short with an empty gas tank when it comes to ourselves. So make sure that you take care of yourself, that you are doing everything you can to be strong, because that's what really truly does translate to helping our kids. And know also that you have great resources, that Family Court is there for you and the court system in general. It's just navigating it in this new way to be able to help you through the process. Thank you for tuning into Financially Ever After. This is a really important time that you take for yourself because the more support and resources you have during the divorce process, the better you're going to fare on the other side. If we can be a support for you, we'd love to please reach out if you'd like a second opinion about what you need financially. If you're getting the right child support and how much you need in spousal maintenance, what equitable distribution should look like, and all the other myriad of questions that come up, of course, when you think about your finances and moving forward, both during and after divorce. You can reach out to me, Stacy, S-T-A-C-Y, at francisfinancial.com. I'd love to be able to help you. And you can visit our website, www.francisfinancial.com.